Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 9 today, and we'll begin our reading in verse 18. Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 18. Men, don't forget, this week we will meet, 6 o'clock Wednesday. Love to, we'd love to have all of you uh, that can come. Uh, we are in the middle of a study, but we start a new chapter every week, so you can just come get right in the middle of it if you've not been. And uh, we have about uh, five more weeks together in this study, The Disciplines of a Godly Man. And uh, would love to have all of you come. But I say that because last week we took off, but this week we will be back uh, again, Lord's willing. Matthew chapter 9, verse 18. I'll pause a few times in the reading. I I don't like to do it much. I, I think it can be irritating, but... Uh, that's a, one of my spiritual gifts. So, While he was saying these things, that's as far as we're going to get. What things? It's important to know. He has just been talking about you don't take new wine and put it in old skins. New wine, as it ferments, expands. And when it does expand, then the skins are broken apart and you lose all the wine, Jesus says. He is trying to help the Jews understand that my preaching of the kingdom of God cannot be contained within Judaism. The old system that you've had is inadequate. This is the gospel that I am preaching. And so... After he or when he was saying these things to them, a synagogue official came and bowed down before him. Mark tells us his name was Yairus. Yairus means uh, the one who enlightens. And said, my daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her and she shall live. Jesus got up and began to follow him, and so did his disciples. And a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will get well. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. And at once the woman was made well. And when Jesus came into the official's house and saw the flute players and the crowd in noisy disorder, he said, leave, for the girl has not died but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. But when the crowd had been sent out, probably not strong enough, sent out, 
Ekbalo is a word, ek is out, and balo is throw. He called the bouncer. Okay? Get them out of here. Forcefully. You see they're already upset. They're losing a paying gig. In that day, they had paid mourners. They had people they would pay to come and play the flute. How would you like to, on your resume, to be able to say, I'm a funeral flautist? As a matter of fact, the flute was considered the instrument of death. I'd have picked the banjo, but they went with flute. But when they had been sent out, said that he entered and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. And the news spread throughout all the land as Jesus went from there. Two blind men followed him, crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. That's a politically charged term. That said to the uh, local politicians that be that this is the one you've heard about that one day is going to come and take over and take names. It was a very politically charged term for Jesus. So he entered the house. Notice he didn't do anything out in public to them. But he entered the house and the blind men came up to him and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. And then he touched their eyes saying, it shall be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout the land. And as they were going out, a mute, demon-possessed man was brought to him. And after the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke and the crowds were amazed and were saying, nothing like this has been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees were saying, he cast out demons by the ruler of demons. How in the world could you take that stance in the middle of all this joy and healing and life transformation? Well, you could do it if you were a Pharisee because your number one job was to go around and make sure that no one Absolutely no one was enjoying life. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Last of all, seeing the people, Oklos, the crowd, seeing the crowd, he felt compassion for them. Because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. It says when he was going about teaching, he taught the good news or the gospel. Euangelizomai is the word for good news. You is good, like eulogy is good words. And angelos is message or messenger. It's a good message or it is good news and the gospel is both one it's good and it is news it was news to them it was good in that they are discovering that the angel was right when said 
the birth of Christ on this earth will be good news for all people in Luke chapter 2. He says, I'm bringing this good news to you. Today, your Savior, your Savior was born in the town of David. He is Christ the Lord. That's good. And it was also news because nobody in Judaism ever believed that that God would ever be this personal with them. By, by this time, they really uh, were not, were, they had to have been wondering, what, what do we think of God? We've got all these religious groups, and they all got different ideas, and, and, and we're supposed to be the chosen race, the people of God, and yet we live under the thumb of the Romans, and, and our people still get sick, and they still die, and life still is bad, and, and things are still tough all over. I am sure uh, that, that they really were like sheep wandering around without any protection, dispirited and disquieted in their souls. So I want to share with you this good news today. Matter of fact, I want to tell you about, about, about my Jesus. He makes a way when there ain't no. Tell somebody from South Carolina wrote that. Actually, she was from Kentucky. Her name is Ann Wilson. But she could have been from South Carolina. She grew up in Kentucky, and I, I know that, yes, Hillsong bought the rights to the song because they liked it, but she wasn't from New Zealand. She's from Kentucky. She wrote this beautiful song. She had a brother that she was very, very close to growing up. One day she tells a story that uh, this will let you know she is from Kentucky, but she had gotten sick and didn't feel like going to school. So he played hooky too, and her brother Jacob stayed home and went out in the woods and killed his sister a squirrel. Nothing makes you feel better when you're sick than a mess of limb rat. He cooked her a squirrel. She tells that story about her sweet brother and how much she loved him. But she got a call one day when he was 23 that he had been killed in a car accident devastated her. It was out of that experience that she wrote these words, he makes a way when there ain't no way. Rise up from an empty grave, ain't no sinner that he can't save. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Boy, his love is strong and his grace is free and the good news is I know that he can do for you what he's done for me. Let me tell you about my Jesus and let my Jesus change your life. I want to tell you today about my Jesus. In our culture today, in our world today, we have been given that task of telling the world about our Jesus. But because of the circumstances that we face when we go out to share the true gospel, we might want to ask, First of all, why don't you tell me about your Jesus? Because I think a lot of people have a Jesus. It might not be the one, though, 
and most often is not the one that we read about in Scripture. A lot of people have someone, Yahweh saves is what uh, Jesus, the word Jesus means. And so a lot of people have things in their life that they lean upon. Some of them, especially if you're part of the progressive Christian movement, they will be vaguely similar uh, to the one that we do read about in Scripture. There will be some places where their personal Jesus uh, matches somewhat with what Jesus did and, and, and how uh, he ministered to others. But the bottom line is a lot of people have a Jesus that has not transformed them, but they have transformed him. He's become more like them, and they've become less like the one that we read about in Scripture. And I, I can just tell you that this is very, very popular today. It's like we take Jesus and we make Him more user-friendly and we make Him more sensitive to the greatest God that's ever lived among the heathen, and that's the self. He cares about what I care about. He thinks about things that I think about. He sees things the way that I see them. And, and, and I can take my Jesus to a march in Washington, or I can take my Jesus uh, into a nightclub and all of that, and he just fits in well. He is user-friendly. He travels good. He just, boy, he's, uh, the, the New Testament Jesus uh, had some of his good points, but but he's a little too kin to the God of the Old Testament. Actually, he is the God of the Old Testament. Maybe we need to spend a little time listening to them tell us about their Jesus, but then we need to make sure that we tell them about ours. And when I say my Jesus, I don't mean he belongs to me. I mean like the psalmist said in Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd. I belong to him. He doesn't belong to me. Sheep don't own shepherds. He's mine because I am his. Let's talk about my Jesus this morning. The scripture we read, first of all, tells us that my Jesus can overcome death. Can overcome death in verse 18 and then in verse 25, we'll read in a second, but it says, While he was saying these things to them, a synagogue official, yea, Iris, came up to him, bowed down. Notice how humble he is, not coming demanding, not coming today, God, to argue with you about what Jews believe and what you are teaching. We, we know there's a big discrepancy. No, here's a guy that is coming who is probably going to lose his job. As a matter of fact, his job as the leader of the synagogue was to make sure things were run right. It's amazing that the next person Jesus heals, his job would have been to make sure she doesn't get close to the synagogue because she is unclean, because uh, of this hemorrhage of blood. She would be declared unclean, and there was a ceremony to fix all of that, of course. Religion always has that. But that was his job. He didn't come to do any of that. He came and he bowed down to Jesus and he said, Jesus, my actually little daughter. It's a little different form of the word through gate or my little girl, God. You can hear the passion in his voice. 
my little girl just died. Doesn't get any worse than that. She's dead. She's dead. And, and, and boy, when you get to that point, you truly need a miracle. And, and I want to tell you, I, I know that we don't hear this guy praying the sinner's prayer and all of that. But I can tell you, this man put his faith in Jesus Christ because here he is risking everything in his life to talk to Jesus, the number one enemy of those who ran the synagogue, not only to talk to him, but to let him know, I believe that you can raise her from the dead because I believe that you are who you say you are. And I'm going to let you be who you say you are. I don't need to remake you. I need you in all your power. I need for you to be God right now because my daughter, my daughter is dead. Oh, Jesus gets there, and the mourners are there. And they're, of course, they're playing the instruments and all of that, and they're tearing their garments. That's one of the things a, a paid uh, mourner would do. Uh, uh, it's interesting uh, how that they're actually, even in poor homes in that day, I think it's William Barclay that tells us that they were expected to have at least two flute players and at least one hired mourner, even at a poor person's funeral. So you hired these people to, to come in. I, I, I was amazed to, to find out from one of the local funeral homes here that, uh, that years ago in this county, the same people uh, who ran the funeral homes ran the amulet service. And I'm thinking, now that could be a little conflict of interest because if the funeral business is not going well, you might go slow down a little bit. I think we may have a customer here in just a second. Don't know if I'd want that going on or not. Some of you who lived here a long time may can validate that. I learned that over at Crows one day. But I can just tell you, he comes to Jesus and he says, my daughter is dead. She's not just sick anymore, she's dead. And, and I understand, parents, let me just tell you, I know she was physically dead, but maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, well, well, my son or my daughter is still breathing physically, but spiritually they're dead. They're dead. They're, they're as bad as they can get, just like you would a dead person. We, we've shook him and he won't wake up. We've tried. We really have. We did tough love and all of that to try to get her attention or his attention. We've called to him so many times. Tell him or tell her every day that, that we love her and we care about her. We call to him and he responds or she responds to absolutely nothing. Spiritually, God, my child is dead. I want to tell you, God can... Even change a dead child. I'm not saying that he will. It's up to him what he does. But I can tell you, God, the situation for God is never, ever impossible. I, I, and I, I have to confess to you, when we walked through some difficult times as a family, I got angry, I got upset, I became bitter, and I quit praying. But thank God my precious wife did not. I learned a great lesson from her in that, that keep praying. 
and keep crying out to God and keep calling to that child and keep shaking that child and keep letting them know that you're there for them and that you love them and you care about them. It doesn't mean that, that, that you pet them. It doesn't mean that you affirm the lifestyle. That's what's happened to so many kids nowadays. That's why a lot of their parents aren't sitting in here right now. Their kids left here and went and adopted another lifestyle and they didn't love their children enough to tell them the truth. They, they were so emotionally in a deficit themselves. They had to have their children's approval so they ran off following them now. That child is dead spiritually. God can transform that child. He can overcome death. Another thing about my Jesus, He can overcome disease. It says in a woman in verse 20 who had been suffering from a hemorrhage, it just means she had had her period for 12 solid years. Came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, for she was saying to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will get well. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, Daughter, I love this. Another form of daughter, but daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. And at once the woman was made well. Do you see what I was saying about salvation? She has put her faith in Him that He is who He says He is. And if I could just touch the hem of His garment, I could be made well. That's why He didn't just look at her and say, well, whoever you are, you're clean now. Go on. No, He looked at her and He called her daughter the only time He ever called anybody that in the entire Gospel accounts. Daughter, we're kin now. We could say, well, we, don't, we never heard her name. Well, we don't have to. She's got a new one now. It's called daughter. It's called daughter. Man, he cleansed her, transformed her life, and brought healing into her life. Now, isn't this something? You have Yeodorus, who is the leader of the synagogue, and, and, and he's the guy that keeps people like her out. And then you have her who comes, and he's a man of means, no doubt about that. He's a man that has tons of friends and a, and a great social network, I'm sure, many friends on Facebook. And here she is, she is a loner. She's been an outcast for 12 years. She couldn't go anywhere and, and participate in anything that had anything to do with God because of the cotton-picking religion at that time would forbid her from doing so. They forbade her from even reaching out to God. And yet here's a leader of the synagogue, and here's a woman with all these problems, and they both wind up on their knees at the feet of Jesus. I don't care who you are, how many resources you have or don't have. The answer is at the feet of Jesus, friend. It's not changed and it never, ever will. Such a social outcast. Yairus' daughter was dead. This woman here, I'm sure, probably wished sometimes that maybe she was dead. As a matter of fact, Mark tells us more of this story than Matthew does. Usually Matthew's accounts are longer, but Mark tells us a little more about this woman. He says she had tried much and had 
spent all that she had and she had been to many physicians and she just kept suffering and and by the way don't think that there were not some cures available in that day in the Jewish Talmud which was a book that and they had two of them they had a Jew, a Jerusalem Talmud they have a Babylonian Talmud so they got two of these and then they got the Mishnah they got these uh, three sources just to help them to figure out the 613 commandments that they now have. It's pretty incredible what religion does. Hadn't done anything for her though. It's amazing. In the Talmud, it gave some cures for her. As a matter of fact, I found 11 all together. One of them, I've told you before, is she could carry the shells of an ostrich egg in a linen bag along with corn from the dung of a white she-mew. You tell me they didn't have some serious medical stuff going on in that day. That was supposed to cure her. That was one of the 11. By the way, all 11 cures had something in common. Can you guess what it is? They didn't work. One of them I thought was fascinating. Dig seven ditches. Dig seven ditches and burn branches in those ditches and then sit on those burnt branches and that will heal you. Here's somebody going to the doctor weakened by 12 years of 24-hour hemorrhaging, and the doctor says, go dig seven ditches. That reminds me of buying flu medication in those little packs that it takes an atomic bomb to open. Sorry, Venton. I'm like, if I could open this thing, I wouldn't be sick. You're sitting in there, you know, in the kitchen, and you're already weak. And you need a chainsaw. Oh, they had all kinds of cures. None of them worked. We might look at those and say, wow, they were just ridiculous. They were barbaric kind of thinking people and superstitious and it sounds like witchcraft and all of that. And some of it was. But it's not any dumber than us nowadays. Sometimes people, I meet them all the time. They think if I could just meet the right man, that would fix my life. It is if the man's Jesus. Or, or, or if I could just finish my college degree, or if I could just uh, lose 10 pounds, or if I could just whatever it is in life, or if I, I could just do this or that, it would just change my life forever. I'm telling you, friend, you're carrying around ostrich eggs and corn from a donkey's dung. It's not going to fix your life. Foolishness. Foolishness. The only one that can fix our lives is Jesus. You overcame death, you overcame disease. My Jesus can overcome darkness. In verse 27, he went on from there and two blind men followed him crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. And he touched their eyes and healed them. I love this part. You, you, you can't help but laugh. He says, no, no, don't go tell anybody about this. And it says, and they went out and spread the news about him throughout all the land. How are you going to keep that a secret? I wonder what the conversation between these two was like after he walked away. You going to tell anybody? 
Well, I'm going to try to walk around like I'm still blind, but they're going to figure it out. It's incredible how they, they can't help but tell it. They're seeing the things they've heard all their life. They're seeing their families, the faces of their children, their wives, or whatever. They're seeing all that for the first time. Their blindness has been healed. And like with all of these, I I will say this. Yeah, he can heal physical blindness. I'm sure he has and does. But he can also heal spiritual blindness too. But just like physical blindness, spiritual blindness is a serious malady, friend. If you're spiritually blind, just like a person who is physically blind, your world is very small. You can only see as far as you can reach with your hand. So you, you, you know that's there. And then you can get a cane, and you can walk with it, and it'll extend your world a little more, but not much. And Ben, I'm telling you, I met some incredible people, especially in undergrad school, who uh, who were blind but got along so well. I was so amazed at how they could deal with such a handicap. But one guy never used a cane. And I would see him walk through town over at Gardner-Webb. And he counted the steps and he walked just like this. And when he got to where the, he was about to cross the street, he'd stop. He counted all the steps. He could make his way around on the campus everywhere he wanted to go. As a matter of fact, I remember a girl that was in one of my French classes. She uh, uh, told the story one day. She said when all the lights went out at campus during a bad storm and it was really, really dark, she said, I ran into so-and-so. I don't remember the guy's name, but it's the same guy. She said, I couldn't find my dorm. She says, but when I ran into him... I told him which dorm and which room, and she said he carried me straight to it. Pretty incredible. But if you're spiritually blind on tests, it's a serious problem. It's hard on you, it's hard on those around you. You can't see the other side of a situation. You can't see that far. You're so myopic, it's like... You, you just see how you feel about it. You know how you see it, but, uh, but you've forgotten how you see it. It's not how it is. It's just how you see it. There's another side to this, and, and sometimes it can be so hard on our families, and it can destroy marriages. We draw conclusions. We make judgments. We criticize. We become angry because there's something out there that we just don't understand, and we're so spiritually blind. We can't see any perspective but our on and our world ends at the end of our perspective and that's all we see we need to be healed we need to be healed friend and God can do that he can overcome death disease darkness even demons in verse 32 and 33 says they were going out a mute demon possessed man was brought to him and the demon was cast out Or after the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds were amazed. I like that. The mute man spoke. That's all he had to do. When he spoke, you knew his his life's been transformed. He's been healed. This man's life has been changed. That's all he had to do was speak. Sometimes it's very simple. When God transforms our life, there is always evidence, irrefutable evidence that God has touched our lives. There are no mutes that he heals that stay quiet. You speak. 
Your life has changed. You spoke and the crowds were amazed and were saying, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. A lot of the more progressive liberal Christians like to say, well, yeah, Jesus came and he claimed to be this, that, and the other. But, and boy, I love it when they whack so intellectually. And they say, but you know, there were lots of uh, so-called messiahs that came in that day and claimed they could do miracles as well. Well, let's just take the word of the people who were there. They said, yeah, there have been a lot who have come and claimed they could do it, but this one came and did it. If you don't mind, don't be offended. I'm going to take their word, not yours. We've never seen anything like this. We heard it could happen. We had some that claimed they could do it, but nobody ever did it but Jesus. What about being spiritually mute? I know I'm taking each one of these to a spiritual level. I'm not saying he can't heal mute people physically. He can. I'm just telling you for you and I, I don't know of anyone in here that's mute, but I know that in every one of our lives sometimes, sometimes there are things that get in our life that shouldn't be in our life, and as far as our testimony is concerned, it pretty much silences us. We have nothing to say. I I, I think about uh, the church. We have kind of, and I don't mean this one in particular, but the whole body of Christ in the modern world, we pretty much have have become silent. And you think about it. What are we going to say about marriage? Statistically, we get divorced just about the same amount as everybody else does. At one time, we were actually ahead of people who didn't go to church at all. What is it we have to say about God's design for marriage? I know it's easy for us to carp on uh, homosexual marriage and all of that, and oh, what a disgrace to God it is. But I can tell you, we have our own issues with heterosexual marriage, but we don't have much we can say about it, do we? We kind of mute on that one. Sanctity of life, so incredible for me. So incredible for me that you can go in most churches and ask them, how do we feel as this local body about the life of an unborn child? And I will tell you, in most churches, you will not get a consensus. Well, it's complicated. Really? What's complicated about that? Oh, I know there's circumstances around it and all that, but when it comes to taking another human being's life, I didn't know that was a defense that, well, it's complicated. It's not complicated. We just don't take stands and we have legitimized things. We really, as a church, we've had almost nothing to say. And it is amazing, back when slavery was a part of the American landscape, the church was condemned and rightly so because they were silent about it for the most part. But today when we stand up for the rights of the unborn, we're told to shut up and go have a seat. And unfortunately, most people did. Sad. Sometimes we're muted by the issues in our life. Last of all, he can heal death. He can overcome death, disease, darkness, demons. 
wonder what the last one starts with. Sorry. It's my OCD. Desperation. I've actually tried a few times to see if I could just put one in that didn't match. I had to go see Dr. Beasley and get a Xanax drip for my skull for two days to get me through it. Just can't do it. Desperation. Verse 36. I know you want to hear from a guy like that on desperation, right? So seeing the people in verse 36, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. You know, it's always amazed me that we read about Sadducees, Pharisees, Zealots. There was a lesser known group called the Sicarii. There was another Jewish sect called the Herodians. And then most people will also count the Essenes as another sect that lived to themselves out in Qumran near the Dead Sea at the time. But do you realize of all of these Jewish sects that Jesus ran into from time to time, the, the Sadducees pretty well dominated the Sanhedrin. So if you went to court, you was going to run it. Mostly it would be them. As a matter of fact... You might would think that the Pharisees in that day were the conservatives, but it was the Sadducees. The Pharisees were considered liberal. And this is just to let you know how this works, okay? Human beings constantly fight about this stuff, and it's nothing new to our culture. But the Pharisees believed in life after death. They believed in angels. They believed in a heaven and a hell uh, they believed in all of those kinds of things. And the Sadducees told the Pharisees, says, you got those ideas from the Persians when we were in captivity, and none of that is true. And so the Sadducees didn't believe in any of that. See, I, I'm about to make a terrible joke, but when you don't believe in heaven or any afterlife, you are sad, you see. I warned you. But do you realize of all the Jewish sects that always seem to show up every time, it looked like somebody was about to have some joy. You're not happy over there, are you? Do you realize that 90% of the population didn't belong to any of those groups? They only made up about 10%. 90% of the people felt like outcasts. They couldn't fit in anywhere. But when Jesus came, he said, if you put your faith and trust in me, you can fit in with me. And boy, they hated him for it. They hated him for it. As I close today, it says, when he looked at crowds, he had compassion. If you go back to every one of these things, the death, the disease, the darkness, the desperation, the demons, go back to every one of these things, I want to tell you what moved God to act was he had compassion. And there's our word again, splanknos. 
means intestines and kidneys. It's a visceral inner gut feeling. It's, a, it's, it's when you are moved physically in your body. When you look at someone or something, it's not just a, a passing thing. No, it, it literally stops you in your tracks. That is the word that we translate as compassion. It hit him in his gut because he saw those poor people running around. He says, they're like little sheep without a shepherd. They don't know where to go. And they don't know where to turn. They got a bunch of people trying to lead them and none of them know where to go either. They've been treated like outcasts and trash. They've been treated like they don't fit in. They've been told that God doesn't love them. They didn't know the news was good or that it was news. But he said, that's why I'm here. I'm to preach the gospel. I'm here share something that's good and something that's news with you. Man. That's my Jesus. I'm not interested in trading him for anybody else's. Now you're right. He wasn't real impressed with myself. As a matter of fact, February 13th, 1980, the night I gave my life to Christ and myself to the gospel ministry, that was the night I figured out he wasn't impressed at all with myself. I was, but he wasn't. Matter of fact, I figured out myself was my problem. And I didn't need a God that would accept that and honor that and exalt that and validate that and authenticate that. I didn't need to go find a Savior who would uh, embrace my ideology. I needed someone that could transform me, not someone that could be transformed by me. Somebody that can make a way when there is no way. Man. I want to tell you about my Jesus. Let's bow. Our Father, we come to you right now, Lord. And I ask you right now, Father, that Whoever is here, and I know there's some. I, 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 don't know, I don't even want to say, God, if there's somebody here in a crowd this size, they're certain to be. Those, Lord, that are living in desperation, maybe spiritual darkness, God, maybe they're, they're watching their life, their family, their, their, their home, the chaos around them, God, but their inability to see any other perspective than their own is just pretty well destroyed them. God, maybe they have things inside of them, those demons, Lord, that they've had for years, those weaknesses, those temptations that seem to always win. Lord, maybe they have no testimony to give because they've been muted. Their credibility is shot. 
Lord, I pray that you'd help them to know you can heal them today. And Lord, I pray especially for those that are spiritually dead. I pray for the parents of those who are spiritually dead, God. I pray right now, Father, that you'd help them to, to, to keep shaking them, that spiritual corpse, God, and keep calling to them and keep crying out to you for them, God. And take some risk, Lord, if that's what it means, to, to, to reach out to you. It's no longer an unspoken prayer request, Lord. I pray you'd give parents the courage to say the name Lord, and to pour their heart out to you. Raise those dead children, God. Spiritually dead. Lord, we just ask all of this in your precious name. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at ServantsWay.com or email us at office at ServantsWay.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.